Today's guest is David Limbaugh. He and his daughter Kristen have written a new book entitled The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. That's coming up momentarily on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 239 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid of the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. We're honored to be joined by David Limbaugh today. He's the number one nationally best-selling author of the books Jesus is Risen and Jesus is on Trial. He's also an attorney and the brother of the late, great Rush Limbaugh. In their new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church and the New Testament, David Limbaugh and his daughter Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom examine Scripture and its teachings to help readers develop a deeper understanding of and stronger faith in the divinity of Christ, the resurrection, and the life everlasting Jesus promises. In this addition to a best-selling series of Bible guides, they whet readers' appetites to read the words of Scripture itself, instill a passion for the Bible, and encourage people to make reading and studying it a lifelong commitment. Brother David Limbaugh, how are you doing today? Great, Doc. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, sir. You know, your book opens with a beautiful tribute and dedication to Rush. We are so sorry for your loss. Could you please, before we start talking about the book, tell my listeners a little bit about Rush's spiritual journey and your spiritual journey? Well, I'll address mine first. I came kicking and screaming to the faith, and I, we were raised in a church and my Christian parents, and I always believed in God. I just don't think it really registered with me, the, the God of the Bible, even though I learned all about it when I was younger. And so I had some doubts, what I thought were intellectual doubts. Who knows? They may have masked other things. Uh, but I embarked on a study, and I was always curious. I mean, I never doubted that God existed, but I wasn't sure that I believed in the divinity of Christ or the, or the inspiration of the Bible, and I certainly hadn't accepted Jesus as my Savior. And so I, uh, I, I read apologetics all the time. I was very curious. I wanted to be on the right team. I wanted to be on the good team, and I knew what was right in my heart, but I just couldn't make the, make the sale to myself early on. But I'd read, you know, Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, um, and Paul Little wrote some great books. He, he, you know, he's long since died. Yeah. Various apologetics books. 
and, and they were so attractive to me. But again, I still didn't take the plunge. And so I kept doing that. And finally, I went to a prayer breakfast meeting one morning, and they left a, 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 a like a big prayer breakfast meeting, Christian businessmen. They left a card. If you want to learn more about Jesus, sign this. Well, I, I really didn't that much, but I felt prompted and urged to do it. So I signed it. I think that was the Holy Spirit prompting me. And so I signed it and ended up meeting in a small group. And they introduced a little book that emphasized the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, the divinity of Christ, all these things, exactly the things that I had always wondered about. And it was like as if that booklet was tailor-made for me. And I, shortly thereafter, I mean within months, became a Christian after studying all that stuff and, and accepted Jesus into my heart. So, and then I, after realizing the Bible was the word of God, I became very passionate about it. I, I couldn't believe I was holding in my hands a book that actually was uh, written by God through human authors. It blew me away. So I just was wanted to inhale everything I could about it, the Bible and commentaries and everything else. So the last um, 30 years of my life, 35 years of my life, I've been doing that. And so uh, Rush, I always said he was a believer to me when I'd ask him. Yeah. Because he, he never talked about it. And I well, you know, and people would question it. Uh, and so he said he never had those kinds of doubts. Uh, and I even tried to stir some in so I could, I don't mean stir doubts, but I just asked provocative questions to, to test his faith a little bit to see where he was. And, and I'd send Bible studies to him and devotionals throughout and he always thanked me for him and, and, but he didn't like to talk about it publicly because he really, the real reason was not that he didn't want to make it a spiritual show as much as he didn't feel like he knew enough about it to be an expert. And it wasn't the nature of his show anyway. So, yeah. uh, but regardless of all that in the, in the last year of his life, um, after, from the time he was diagnosed, he, I, I think, exhibited amazing courage, and, and I, I think his faith grew exponentially. Uh, and by the time he died, I mean, I don't know how anybody could have any doubt where he went. Uh, and, and his faith in, in Jesus was real, and he talked about it. And every day he thanked God for being alive, and, and, he, and he credited Christ for everything. And, so, and he, um, I don't know, I, I just... I, th- I think it's an example of God using evil, in this case, cancer for good. And good, I mean, drawing Rush closer to him. And in turn, Crush, Crush, Rush's witness, I think, had uh, multiplying benefits with his audience. So uh, the, that, that's the only good thing I can say about his death. That and the, and the overwhelming warmth that his audience showed, which, which is why, among other reasons, I, I dedicated the book also to his fans uh, because I so appreciate their love for him and their expressions of it to me every day, even still. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And on a more temporal uh, uh, point, I, I think I can speak for anybody who's doing uh, a talk show today. We wouldn't really have any idea how to do it without his example um, you know, that, that he set forth for us. Um, so, and I appreciate that's wonderful, uh, moving testimony of your spiritual journey and Russia's spiritual journey. Your new book is called the resurrected Jesus, the church in the new Testament. Now there are probably a lot of people listening to us 
today, either through the live stream or listening at their leisure afterward to the podcast, who are not very familiar with the Bible and certainly have never read a book about the Bible. What should they expect from your book? Well, the, in the previous books, well, I've written the first book was a faith journey, Jesus on trial and an apologetic, defending the faith, why I ultimately became a believer, yeah. the evidence that convinced me. The second was the Emmaus Code, talking about how Jesus, uh, ironically, is all over the Old Testament. He's prophesied, in every, and, he, and he's present in every respect. It's not really ironically, but ironic, but it's shocking to those who don't realize it. And, and, and that the, the true Jesus was the third one, where I, that's when I started going through all the New Testament books. I want, my goal is to, and now, my goal is to go through all the New Testament books and provide a lay commentary and that's what I started with the true Jesus, where I did a chronological compendium of the Gospels. Uh, and then uh, the next one was Jesus on Risen, Jesus is Risen, which is the last book. It was the book of Acts, the history of the early church, and the first six of the Apostle Paul's epistles, going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, trying to explain in lay terms uh, what, what the Bible is getting at, because I, I believe that there's, there is no sin in books written about the Bible. It is not an affront to the Word of God. In fact, it's, it's to enhance. That's why we have Sunday schools. That's why we have pastors. We are supposed to try to help other people understand it, and some people are intimidated. <clears throat> I know I was intimidated, and while I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, while I don't have any formal credentials, uh, theological or biblical, I have studied a lot, taught Sunday school, and I, I feel like I can approach people in a way that maybe pastors and theologians can't because, I mean, not that they can't, but I can offer something uh, different because I can put myself in, a situ in the situation they, many of them, find themselves as doubters or as newbies and, and not really comfortable with Scripture. So the goal is to, to bring it as scholarly as we can, but as accessible as we can, offering insights from early church fathers from the great writers throughout the ages, including those today. And so that's what we did. That's what I did with Jesus is Risen. Now, this book is the, the Apostle Paul's last seven epistles. Sorry for this long-winded answer, but I have to be thorough in, in responding. The, the, the prison epistles that he wrote to churches that he had planted around the Mediterranean basin and the three pastoral epistles he'd written, he wrote to his colleagues, Timothy and Titus, who were fellow evangelists, and understudies of his. But the, the difference in this book is that I've, I asked my daughter, Kristen, to join me in co-authoring this book, and it's been great. I mean, she's my eldest child. She's 29. She's married. Got, she's made me a grandfather, made me and Lisa grandparents with a baby boy in January. She is a spirit-filled filled prayer warrior who inspires me. I don't know, Doc, I don't know about you, but I err on the side of head knowledge, and I'm always thinking and reading apologetics and trying yeah. to study the Bible. And I, I, I am not as uh, I don't have as great a facility as she does for prayer. I watch her uh, conversation with God, and I marvel at it. I, I learn from some my own daughter who is not even half my age, and she gives me great inspiration to be more of a heart Christian uh, and and have a better balance than just being a head Christian. And so we've got to be both, and we've got to have that balance. And so she's helped me. And I figure that she could, in addition to helping contribute to the text and our interaction back and forth, she could uh, add prayers 
and help readers interact with the text and with the Bible and, um, and, and make it kind of a combined commentary and devotional for lay people, a Bible study, kind of a Sunday school writ large. And so she's, she's, you know, arisen to the task and just been fabulous to work with. It's just awesome for me. And, and uh, I love it. So that's where we are. Yeah, and, and I read a, a wonderful prayer there towards the start of the book there that's very inspiring. Uh, let the record reflect there's nothing wrong with long-winded answers. Uh, <laughs> we're speaking, <laughs> I love them. We're speaking with David Limbaugh, co-author of the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church and the New Testament. Now, in our time, it is popular for a lot of people to say um, that, that you know, that they're, they're mutually contradictory beliefs that can both be true. People are applauded for embracing what is referred to as their truth. Uh, and yeah. somebody else's truth may contradict that, and that's fine. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the letters in the New Testament your book focuses on, completely rejects this idea, doesn't he? Yes, and, and I, I was uh, enamored with your intro to your show about uh, how you, you take no prisoners and you advocate truth. And here's, here's the deal. The, the, uh, the modern culture, the left, and even too many supposed conservatives and Christians even say that Jesus was a great uniter and, and, and the great virtue, unity is the great virtue of our time and tolerance. No, nope. Jesus said, I come to divide mother and father, brother and sister. Why? Because he is the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm just one way, and you can, you can you, if you want to, you can go through Buddha or, or Muhammad or, or uh, transcendental meditation. Or he, no, and not to denigrate any other faith. I'm just saying Jesus said and Paul affirmed that the, the way to salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not faith plus works and the rest of it. So there were, the, there were these early heresies, the early false in the early church that Paul had planted, false teachers crept in and corrupted and polluted the gospel. And Paul didn't, didn't worry about hurting people's feelings. By the way, I should say Christ is a uniter for the church and we're all supposed to be in unity in the church, but you don't gratuitously unite, reach across the aisle with people who are, who are advocating and pushing pure evil. You can't compromise with people who are subject to are pawns of, of evilly uh, dark spiritual forces. So now, Paul had, had no quarter uh, for people who gave no quarter for false teachers and severely, sternly reprimanded them. Get these people out of our church. Reprimand them. They are, through their own pride or their desire for power or whatever, example on, on some of these heresies. One, one type of heresy were the Judaizers, who were Jews who had converted to Christianity but insisted on retaining as conditions to salvation, uh, circumcision and obedience to other Jewish rituals. And again, nothing to denigrate those circumcision or the rituals. But Paul said, if you want to, if you want to do those, that's fine. But don't you dare say they are required for salvation. That's an insult to the finished work of Christ on the cross. All you need to do is place your faith in him. He didn't become a human being and suffer the indignities of human existence just because, just so he could help us have salvation. He did it to give us salvation as a gift, 
and he went through all this hell for us, excruciating hell, separation from the Father, murder, torture, and then he was bodily resurrected so that we could then follow in his path and be bodily resurrected through faith in him and live in eternal glory with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so let's just not mince words about things that matter, and let me tell you why it matters. This isn't, it's not to say that we should be unwinsome about how we approach other people, quite the contrary, but we cannot compromise the truth because what happens then, if you try to please man instead of God by diluting the gospel or by conforming the church to the culture instead of the other way around, then you are not doing people any favors. You are, you are possibly uh, interfering with their eternal salvation because if you suggest to them that they really don't need to have faith in Christ or that they need to have faith plus works, you, you are saying that G, what Jesus did isn't enough and you may not really lean on him. Yeah. Because see, people say, well, you see, it's not just like getting a test question wrong. What's wrong if I believe in faith plus works? At least I still have faith. No, because it, it, it might it, it interfere with the, with the true nature of faith if you think it's faith plus works. That's the problem. Right. It's not that you plunk a theological exam. You have to lean on Christ. You have to trust him. And you, you may not do that if you think you've got to do it all yourself or some yourself. Amen. Sorry, go, another long-winded deal. There we go. No, not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, our guest is David Limbaugh. He's co-author with his daughter of the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Okay, next I have a two-part question for you. Some modern biblical critics insist that the Apostle Paul taught a different gospel from the one Jesus taught, or at the very least that Paul changed some of Jesus' fundamental teachings. First part of the question do you believe that to be the case? But second part of the question, if the Bible is indeed the inerrant word of God, how can such allegedly inconsistent teachings coexist? Yeah, correct. Uh, they cannot, and I don't believe they were inconsistent. Um, and for two reasons. One is they're not on their face, and two, it would be incompatible with the, our idea about the inerrancy of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes. And he inspired the entire Bible, Old Testament to New. And, and here's the deal. The ultimate, the ultimate issue is salvation by faith alone, which I alluded to. Jesus was explicit in what I just said. He didn't say salvation by faith alone to me. What he said was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. You know, believe. You know, repent and believe. And so, uh, and so that he, was, he was enunciating salvation by faith alone himself. Paul explicitly does it all through. And so this one, I can make a shorter answer. That that's the answer. I don't think that now, well, I guess I should say, because people will ask, what about the alleged inconsistency with James who said, uh, who allegedly said faithless works. And my response to that is briefly twofold. One is when he used the term justification, see the, the term justification, we are declared judicially judicially declared righteous by virtue of our faith in Christ. And, and so when, when we die, God sees the sinlessness of Jesus and not our sins, and so we are saved. But uh, once we're saved, we're still sinners. We, we, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit, exercise the spiritual disciplines, and grow closer to Christ. But the, for salvation purposes, as opposed to sanctification, which is the process where we become more holy and more Christ-like, 
for salvation purposes, we're sinless because we, he sees us. So, but, so that's the term justification. We are justified. Well, James used the term justified. And so, uh, what I've read from scholars I trust is he used the term justification, whatever the Greek term was for it in a different way in his, what he was referring to in justification is what we think of as sanctification, that you're showing your works through reliance on the Holy Spirit. But even if you don't accept that, we are, regardless of whether you accept that, what we do understand is that if you don't exhibit fruit of the Spirit and, and show good works as a Christian, there's a good chance that you really weren't converted and you weren't a Christian in the first place. And so what James says, uh, faith without works is dead, I think he means it was never born. Faith by, if you don't, if you don't have faith, if you don't have good works uh, after, you're, after you're converted, then you may not have been authentically saved. Right, right. So uh, let me ask you, uh, Paul's teachings obviously are entirely consistent with those of Jesus, but God used the Apostle Paul to reveal a hidden mystery. What was that mystery, and, and what was the significance of it? The mystery is that the Jews were the chosen people, as we know from the Old Testament, and they not chosen in the sense of salvation, but chosen to, to be a special holy people who would dedicate themselves to God and who would have this uh, real estate, the Holy Land, set apart to them as their everlasting possession, the Abrahamic Covenant, and that, they, that the Messiah would come through them, that the law would come through them, and that ultimately salvation would come through them because Christ was a Jew and he's going to preach, I mean, he's going to make available the gift of salvation through faith in him. But as we know, the Jews largely rejected it, but it's still open, always open to the Jews. It's open to everyone. Yeah. And, but what, what, uh, what Jesus was, what, what, what we're saying here is that it is, uh, refresh my memory on the question. I got myself on a, no, on no, a tangent. No, that, that, that's okay. Uh, Paul's teachings were entirely consistent oh, with Jesus' it, teachings, it, it, but he it, did it, reveal a his hidden mystery. And the question is, yeah, the what was that mystery, mystery and yeah. its significance? Yeah, sorry. The hidden mystery is that now it's, we're all God's chosen people. That, that, that the, offer is, the offer is to all people, and, and it surprised the Jews at Paul's time uh, that this salvation that Jesus is offering is, open to, uh, is available to the, the Gentiles as well as the Jews, in other words, to every human being. Uh, and so... Now we're all God's people. We're all God's chosen people. And it's a great, now there's your unity for you, because Christ, I believe, wants everyone to be saved and everyone doesn't want to lose any sheep. And so that's, that's, that's what's significant about that. Is it's no longer a narrow group of people that God has revealed himself to. Uh, he did that kind of like an incubation period and so that the gospel could ultimately be revealed to the whole world in the fullness of time. All right, uh, so let me ask you this. In, in your book, and again, we're speaking to David Limbaugh, co-author of the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church and the New Testament. In your book, you talk about the idea of spiritual warfare and the unseen realm, our, our battle against invisible spiritual forces who have influence in our physical world. How would you address skeptics who might say, ah, oh, those are fringe ideas, those are just euphemisms for 
ancient superstitions about ghosts and goblins. Yeah, yeah. That's, see, that's what I used to think. I didn't even believe in the devil. And the more I got into it, what, what's an interesting thing, and back, I, always, I use the word irony too much, but it is ironic to me that one of the great proofs that the biblical worldview is true, that God is true, that the triune God of the Bible is actually God, is the pervasiveness of evil in the world. I can explain it no other way than through the biblical worldview, than the Bible's explanation of evil, that, that it's a war between uh, spiritually evil forces and uh, forces for spiritually forces for good. And uh, what I think is, is interesting is nowhere, at, at no time in, in our history that I'm aware of, has that been more obvious? We see today the not just the murdering of babies, but the celebration and glorification of the murder of babies. And the people who are advocating abortion on demand actually claim to our faces to have the moral high ground. That is so astonishing to me. I have no other explanation for it than spiritually dark forces that are blinding these people to their own evil. And then the... the the second example is the mutilation of children now, and you mentioned in your own intro about men, you don't believe men can be converted to women. Well, obviously they cannot, but these things, these perverted ideas have been, are being crammed down our throats in the culture, and those of us who stand for God's created order and stand against the deliberate gender confusion that is against God's created order uh, are deemed the immoral people. We got people coming across the border. It's intentionally left open, and and the press secretary for Biden and Biden and all of his staff they deny that the border is open, and even though right in front of our eyes, we watch federal agents preempt state. I mean, uh, yeah, state people blocking the border and and everything else. It's a wide open border, and through those that border come terrorists. They they they, they uh, drugs from China and the Mexican cartels, which estimated to have killed 100,000 Americans a, a year. Think about the, the, the intensity and level of evil that is going on and people advocating and defending it instead of fighting against it. And there's so many other examples. So I believe, like Paul said in the book of Ephesians, that we have to put on the whole armor of God Amen. because spiritual forces are behind the physical, material forces uh, and, and that's what's really going on, it, and they're really, really there. They're, we can't see them, but that's what's happening. And put on the whole armor of God, meaning go to God in Scripture and in prayer and, and the rest of the spiritual disciplines, because we have to be armed to fight in this war. Amen. Speaking to uh, David Limbaugh, the book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. I would be remiss in my duty before we run out of time here if I didn't ask you at least one political question. You kind of alluded to some issues there in your last answer. We live in a day in which many of us are concerned about our Justice Department, FBI, and intelligence community having been weaponized by the current regime to unconstitutionally target its political opponents. We dearly miss your brother, Rush Limbaugh, and wish we had the benefit of his insight into all that is happening in our country today. What do you think Rush would be saying about the state of our nation today, the day after Mike Lindell was swooped in on by a bunch of FBI agents at a Hardee's drive through and who insisted, oh, we got to have your phone. Not to mention Mar-a-Lago, not to mention the Mar-a-Lago raid. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, they, they might have gone to Russia's Palm Beach house if he were alive. We, don't forget that. This, yeah. this, is, this is horrifying. And, and I should have alluded to the, the rule of law that, that the liberals are, are propagating in, in this country. That not just the dual-tiered justice system, but the undermining of law enforcement throughout. And we're not talking about the FBI here. We're talking about police. And, and we have chaos in the streets everywhere. But we do have a dual justice system. You mentioned these prisoners from January 6th who are totally forgotten. And nobody says anything about it. It, it is unbelievable. And then you have all the due process suspended. Nobody cares because the, the digital oligarchy in collusion with the mainstream media and the rest, it, it, it's, it's this FBI and, and the DOJ, how politicized they've become. Rush would be outraged, horrified. But in the end, I would say, Doc, he would say, as he always said, is it time to panic? No, it is not time to panic because that would mean we'd be giving up on America and patriots are never going to give up on America. We're never going to turn a blind eye and, and, and become cowards at this dual justice system and, and this dual application of the laws. We are going to fight them. We're going to defeat them. Don't reach across the aisle. You can't work with evil. They don't have any interest in compromising. Every time we compromise, notice the football moves to the left. It never moves to the right. We conservatives really haven't changed our stripes since Reagan. But these radicals on the left have become closer and closer to Karl Marx, and they're getting worse every day. Every bit of the Democratic Party is wholly owned by AOC. So it, it, none of them vote against this stuff. So he, Rush would say, buck up, have courage, don't, don't succumb to the, the, the common tendency among people on the right to, to be cowards. Stand tall. Stand with the rest of the Patriots, and we're going to ultimately defeat these people. Amen. Amen. David Limbaugh, it is a blessing and an honor to have you as our guest on the Doc Washburn Show today. Uh, the new book I highly recommend, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Brother, thank you so much for coming on the uh, the program. As I told you before we got started, it would be quick and painless. It, it went by so fast. And we hope to have you on again at some point. We wish you Godspeed. And as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Thanks so much for having me. I w would add that Rush would say it way more eloquently than I did. But I took a stab at what he might say. There you go. You, you did a great job. Did a great job. God bless you, brother. Thanks. Thank you so much. You too. Take oh, care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, right, wow. So, what do you think about that? Um. The reason that we are able to do what we do here five times a week on the Doc Washburn Show, including having interviews like the one you just heard, is because we have a few patrons and we have some advertisers who make it possible for me to do this instead of having to go do something else. And we can't thank our advertisers, our friends, enough for making it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show on a regular basis. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. 
That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend, Jonathan Presswood, today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there. And there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause 
migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. I want to say thank you again to our advertisers, Drs. J.R. Crabtree and Dr. Tanya Crabtree, his wife, our advertiser and friend at TurnMyPowerOn.com. Also, Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial Advisors. And Mitch Ward, uh, proprietor of RedRiverYourWay.com. Speaking of which, speaking of Red River Your Way, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's Tweet of the Day is from the great Charlie Kirk, who went out on Twitter about 10 minutes ago as we say this live in the live stream, saying, so let me get this straight. The FBI can track down Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, to a rural Minnesota Hardee's, but they can't track down who planted the pipe bombs at the RNC on January the 5th. Washington, D.C., RNC and DNC, I would say, Charlie. Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, You know, a lot, a lot has become clear in the last 24 hours. And it's not just about them going after Mike Lindell. It's not just about finding out that the FBI knew years ago way before the Mueller probe, that the Steele dossier was bogus, that they made Igor Danchenko, the guy who fed Christopher Steele all the bogus info, a confidential human source. They put him on the FBI payroll to shut him up for years. There's so much that has come out in the last 24 hours. Uh, What I want to do is do a second episode of the Doc Washburn Show a little bit later today to deal with all of that in its entirety as much as I am able to do. So we will let this episode with the David Limbaugh interview stand on its own and deal more fully with what is going on with our DOJ, FBI, and Intel community in a separate episode of the Doc Washburn Show to be done a little bit later today. You've been listening to episode 239 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped, 
If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. And that's the way it is. Wednesday, September 14th, 2022.